this summer at Holy Cross, we are diving into the book of Psalms. We'll be looking at the different types of Psalms and the themes that are contained in this book as a whole. We especially want you to learn about how we as believers can relate to the emotions in the Psalms and learn to pray through those in your everyday life. Join us now as we unpack another Psalm. Let's pray together for a moment. Lord, thank you this morning as we come to the scriptures. We welcome you. We say, come, Holy Spirit, come, come and fill our minds and our hearts. Come, Lord, and open the scriptures to us. Come, Lord, and fill my words that we might be led to Jesus. It is in his name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Well, we are continuing this week in our sermon series called Let's Be Honest, Praying the Psalms. Uh, As you may know, we're spending the summer looking at the book of Psalms. But if you know anything about the book, you realize that there are 150 Psalms, which means we're not going to get to all of them. But we'll get a smattering. We'll get really a taste. We're looking at different types and different categories of Psalms and what they mean for us today so that we get a broad sense of what this book is all about. Now, I have said previously the way we've named this sermon let's be honest, is, well, we do that because of what the Psalms invite us into. They invite us into honesty of relationship and honesty of communication with the Lord. They're they're full of praise and lament and heartache and goodness. John Calvin said that the full realm of emotion, any emotion a person has ever experienced, can be found in the book of Psalms. And, of course, that great theologian Bono, the lead singer for the rock band U2, said what's so powerful about the Psalms is they contain praise and gospel, and you can find the blues in them, too. And he's right. Psalms give you permission to be real with God, no matter what's going on, whether good or bad, whether happy or sad or anywhere in between. But thankfully, they're not just about us, right? The Psalms, well, they give us a picture of God and they invite us to exalt him and to know him in all of who he is, whether we sing them or we read them or we pray them. Well, today we read and we'll be looking at Psalm 19. C.S. Lewis said this about Psalm 19. He said, I take this psalm, psalm to be the greatest poem in the book of Psalms, and one of the greatest lyrics in the world. That's pretty strong from one of the greatest apologists and defenders of the Christian faith. That's strong language. Now, it's what we call a, a psalm of the law or a psalm of Torah because it focuses, like these types of psalms do, on the law. It exalts the word of God to a high place. And if I were to boil it all down, if I were to encapsulate what this psalm is speaking down into one idea and a question, it would be this. God is revealing himself. How will you respond? God is revealing himself. How will you respond? It's a psalm that's pretty easy to divide up. It can be found in three parts. Verses 1 through 6, the creation reveals God. Verses 7 through 11, the law, the Torah, the word, reveals God and his will. 
And in verses 12 through 14, David responds to the revelation of God. So we'll go to the text. If we can pull it up on the screen, let's just let our hearts and our ears and our eyes engage it one more time. Let's read together verses 1 through 4. We'll do that out loud together. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words, whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun. David is describing what theologians call natural revelation. The creation reveals God. The universe reveals God. In fact, it shouts, as it were. There is a God. There is a designer. There is a creator. It's not all random. It's not chance. There is someone behind it all who created the beauty of the ocean, which we all love so much, and the mountains and the stars above and the sun as it makes its way through the sky. And all of it reveals his glory. Everybody say glory. The Hebrew word glory means weighty, heaviness, importance, substance. The glory of God is his magnificence and his power. In other words, the being behind all this that you see is no lightweight. He is a super heavyweight. And he is majestic, the creator of it all. You know, I can remember sitting with a friend of mine, an agnostic friend of mine. We were by a lake in North Carolina. It was one of those days that it just, you know, beautiful. Sky was just bright, bright, bright blue. Like it was cool, but the sun was warm on our skin. And the light of the sun was just radiating on the water. It was pulsing, dancing, glowing, Golden. You couldn't take your eyes off of it, but you couldn't keep your eyes on it for all that long either. It was that dazzlingly brilliant. And the wind was blowing in the trees that they were swaying back and forth. It was like they were dancing. And my friend, my agnostic friend, he was, he was speechless. He whispered, wow, what a day. And I said, yes, it's making me worship the God who created it all. And he said, you know, on a day like today, I could almost believe there's a God. What was happening? The creation was giving testimony to the God behind it all. But but that doesn't mean my friend got it. He didn't, in fact, for about 20 years because his heart wasn't ready to yield and to worship. People see God's glory all the time and they marvel at it, what they see, and yet failed to worship him. It's what Paul tells us in Romans chapter 1. He says this, People know the truth about God because he's made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. That's his glory. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. 
Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. The creation reveals, it speaks of God's existence. And that means no one has an excuse to say there is no God. What Paul elaborates and shows us is that it's our sin, it's our foolishness, our darkened minds, our suppression of the truth, our unwillingness to worship and to give God thanks that brings such confusion in our lives and leads to all kinds of immoral and godless behavior. And that's happening all over our culture today. That might even be happening in your life today. But there's nothing new about it. It's been going on in every culture down through the ages. Well, let's go back to the text. We pick up at verse 7. Let's read 7 through 9 together. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. So David makes a shift, right, from the creation which reveals God to the law which reveals God, the Torah. Now, most Christians, when they hear law, think Ten Commandments. And that is the law, but the law can also mean the fullness of Torah, which for David at that time and and for the Hebrew people is the first five books of the Bible. But law is often a word that's used to mean all of Scripture. And so as David says, the law reveals the Lord. What he's saying is that all of Scripture points to who God is and reveals his will to us. So God is so kind and good. He, he doesn't want anyone to miss him. And so if natural revelation doesn't get our attention, he gives specific revelation through the word, through the law, through the Torah, so that we might not only know that he exists, but so that we might know what he's like and we might enter into relationship with him. And that's what God wants for each of us. That's what he wants for you. That's what he wants for me. He wants us to be in relationship with him. And so he speaks and he does so through his word. Now, David uses parallelism, and we've talked about that before. Parallelism is sort of at the heart of Hebrew poetry, right? The, the psalmist speak in different ways, sometimes in comparison, sometimes in contrast, but often they're trying to, from different angles, help us to see the fullness of who God is and the fullness of the idea they're presenting. And that's what David does six times. He speaks about the law and he uses different words. What does he say? He calls it law. He calls it testimony. He calls it precepts and commandment and fear and rules. And with each of these references to God's word, David lists an accompanying characteristic. Perfect and sure and right and pure and clean and true and righteous. And then David shows us the effect that the law or the word of God has on the person who engages it, who receives it. He says that the word revives the soul. 
through its effect, we can move from spiritual death to spiritual life. It makes simple people like me wise. I'm still working on that part. It brings joy to the heart. So often we hear law and we think something heavy, something awful, but God's word is designed to bring joy to your heart and goodness and mercy. And it enlightens, it gives insight, direction, discernment to those who receive it. And the reason that it does this, the reason that God's word has this effect is because it reflects God himself. God, God is perfect and sure and right and pure and clean and true and righteous. And the reason we become revived and wise and joyful and enlightened by his word is because the word points us to him and to what it means to live with him in relationship. Someone once said, it is the word of God that points us to the God of the word who then satisfies our soul with himself. And that's grace. This is this free thing that God offers, this gift of himself that he gives to those who seek him. Let's read what David says, verses 10 and 11. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings from the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. You know, the Rolling Stones sang a song that has been argued to be probably the most influential or popular rock song over the last 50 years. I can't get no satisfaction. And I try, and I try, and I try, and I try, and I try. Like, they're communicating something that they can't find satisfaction no matter what they try. And you know those guys have tried just about everything. And that's what the world tells us. We'll find our satisfaction in things outside of God. And I would say the two big ones are through wealth and through pleasure. And that's what David's pointing us toward when he says this. You want satisfaction in life? You find it in God's word, which is better than wealth, much fine gold. And it's better than pleasure, honey dripping from the honeycomb. It's poetic language. We need to realize he's saying the sweetest thing you could find. God's word and God's presence is better than that. Satisfaction for your life can come in relationship to him. Man, that's good news. God's word satisfies because it warns us away from the things that would keep us from him. What kinder thing could God do than say, don't go over that cliff, but instead nestle yourself in near to me and I will teach you and I will lead you as I make you my own and your heart will be satisfied. So the creation reveals God and the law, the word reveals God and his will. And that leads David to a response. He responds to the revelation of God. How does he do it? He, He does it through repentance and worship. 
Let's read verses 12 through 14 together. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. He's responding with repentance and worship. He's saying, God, keep me away from anything that would keep me away from you. Don't let my hidden brokennesses, my hidden faults, the things I can't see about myself, don't let those keep me from you. Don't let my presumptuous sins, right? The areas of pride. Anybody got any areas of pride? You'll, you'll know it because that's often what causes tension in your marriages and in your friendships and in your homes and in your businesses. He says, don't let any presumptuous sins and pride so hard to see. Don't let those things keep me from you, Lord. Don't let me get bogged down and held back by anything. I only want you Lord. And that's really what repentance is. We tend to think it's about do's and don'ts, and it may involve those. But really, it's coming to the recognition that there is nothing in this life that ultimately can satisfy you but the living God, and then fleeing to Him for all that He might give you, for all that He might reveal to you, for all that He might do in you and through you. See, David's tasted the goodness of God. He's experienced grace. And he wants God more than anything else. And he says, Lord, like, there's something in me, though, right? The hidden stuff, the presumptuous stuff. There's something in me that causes me, this is how Paul says it, to do things I don't want to do and to not do the things I really want to do. He's talking about the power of sin, And it's the power of sin that would take us away from God. Even those of us who belong to him, that power is still working. But here's the good news. God didn't just allow the creation to speak. And God didn't only speak through the law. God entered in. He came himself. We have it so much better than David. David only saw a shadow and was looking forward, but we have the full revelation of God. The word himself, Jesus, has come. And he has come to fulfill the law and to live the life. Listen to those words about the law. Because they describe Jesus. He is pure. He is good. He is perfect. He is clean. He is true. And he is righteous. God himself has entered in the full word spoken so that we might not only have an idea about God, Not simply know the will of God, but to know God himself. 
And so as you look at Jesus, who is the word and who is the image of the invisible God, as you read the pages of the gospels, you see all the things that God can do. He's Lord over the creation, over storms and over wind. He's Lord over the demonic, over the enemy. He's Lord over sickness and he's Lord over substance like bread and fish. And he wants you to know him. His desire is that you would know him. We have it so much better than David. God is still speaking. God has spoken and he still speaks. My question for you today is, how are you responding? Are you staying so busy that you don't have time to know him? Are you staying so preoccupied with the things of this earth that promise satisfaction but ultimately don't? that you don't have space to grow to know him? See, repentance always leads to worship. Is there anything in your life that you want more than Jesus? That, that's a sobering question because the honest person might say sometimes... Well, that's worth talking to God about, not because he's going to smash you, but because he wants to set you free. He has given us his spirit so that we might be free from the power of sin and so that we might know him and live with him. That the meditation of my heart and the words of my mouth, everything in me and all that comes out of me, may it be pleasing in your sight. That's worship. God is speaking. He has spoken in creation. He has spoken through the word and the law. He has spoken through his son, Jesus, who died on a cross so that you could be his own. How will you respond? Let's pray. Lord, it's your kindness that causes us to come to repentance. And when we do, our hearts want to worship so, Lord, would you show us the places where we're half-hearted or double-minded or kind of still in love with the world and what it promises will satisfy? And will you set us free? Will you make us a people that know you deeply and love you fully so that we might lay our lives down before you in service? Whatever it is you have, Lord, We want our answer to be yes. We pray this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.